Hello, folks. We're down the line from Cape Cod tonight with political analyst, author, and historian, Dr. James D. Boys. I'm Michael L. Roberts. This is the American Chronicle. Welcome back all to this second season of the American Chronicle, taking us up, of course, to the U.S. presidential election on November 3rd. Much has happened since last we convened, and we shall, of course, be covering all of that in tonight's episode, uh, an episode that finds us not only broadcasting to your eardrums, but also in an audience-driven alteration to proceedings to your eyeballs also. James is uh, presently in Cape Cod, and sending in video from there, and uh, I find myself on location of a new film, so hence the uh, rather obscure surroundings here at present. In tonight's show, then, we cover all that has happened since last we convened. We examine the state and progress, or lack thereof, of the Trump and Biden campaigns, and in an unprecedented move from James, we even engage in a little political prophecy. I began tonight's interview then, as well I should, by asking James about the highlights of his rather media appearance-heavy summer. So since we last spoke, uh, I've been uh, working here uh, in Boston on a variety of uh, issues. Um, I've been uh, very happy that uh, a paper I've been uh, working on that dealt with uh, rhetoric and foreign policy, uh, entitled Grand Strategy, Grand Rhetoric, has been published uh, in the United Kingdom in the journal entitled Politics. Uh, it seems to have been uh, well received, very pleased with that, uh, comparing and contrasting the, the rhetoric and the politics and the personal stylings of Bill Clinton's 1992 campaign uh, with Donald Trump's 2016 campaign, uh, which of course many people might have thought were night and day apart, but uh, mm. interestingly enough, both candidates at one point or another use the expression, make America great again. Uh, which I'm sure might be a great surprise to many people, especially uh, on the democratic side of things. I'm also continuing work on the Madman Theory uh, project, which I've been uh, focusing upon for the past calendar year. Um, I've got a, a paper in the works uh, entitled the, the, the Method in Their Madness, which addresses um, in about uh, 10,000 words or so uh, the comparisons between Donald Trump and uh, Richard Nixon and how they used uh, the madman strategy to try to strike fear into their uh, international adversaries uh, and occasionally their allies. Uh, I'm very pleased to say I've been invited to present uh, a paper upon this at the Center for Strategic Studies at uh, the Fletcher School uh, Tufts University here in Fantastic. Boston in October, which I'm very pleased to, uh, to have accepted that invitation. I'm continuing to work that up into a manuscript as well. So uh, that's something which I'm going to be working on uh, I guess over the course of the, the coming months. Uh, I've also been uh, working here uh, covering the uh, presidential election, of course, uh, doing work with local uh, media, uh, WBZ radio here in Boston. Uh, right. I spent uh, some uh, pleasant uh, 
hour or so on Friday night uh, discussing the uh, latest uh, developments uh, on the presidential election and uh, with, a, with a call in show on that channel. And uh, I was very happy to accept the kind invitation from Tom Rogan to uh, join him uh, on the McLaughlin Group, uh, which is... Um, yes, I very much wanted to ask about this one. Yeah. The show of great historical significance. It's been running for several decades. Um, started by the late John McLaughlin. Um, many uh, people that are listening to this, uh, if they're not aware of it directly, may well have seen it uh, lampooned or, or, uh, uh, or integrated into movies such as the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise, uh, into uh, Watchmen uh, and Independence Day, for example. It's the kind of show that a lot of movies will have on in the background uh, to try to uh, immerse uh, the fictional world with the real world of Washington politics. And uh, it was uh, a great pleasure to join uh, Eleanor Clift and uh, Pat Buchanan uh, on that show uh, to discuss the latest developments uh, in US politics, of which, of course, there have been many uh, in the time uh, since we last spoke, and which I'm Indeed. sure we're going to touch upon today. <laughs> so mildly, moderately busy then, Jims, yes. Well, you know, I mean, uh, we, I like to keep... Uh, keep my uh, keep it keep going effectively it's very mm. it's a great pleasure to be working on this uh, uh, presidential election I've, I've covered them all now since 2008 the first o Obama uh, mm. success uh, so now here we are um, some 12 years on uh, and it's uh, it's nice to keep being asked back uh, for for one's opinion mm. So I guess uh, launching in this evening um, you mentioned that you've been covering these for 12 years, and uh, I'm always tempted to say that uh, Dr. James D. Boyce never dips his toe in the, uh, uh, the muddy waters of political prophecy. And yet I see this week a, uh, a tweet suggesting that if, as I predict, Biden will lose, dot, 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 I was hoping we could get started on uh, where this prediction is coming from, from a man so, uh, so uh, uh, adverse to such predictions. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think one of the great challenges um, in addressing American presidential elections, especially from Europe, is that, you know, you, everybody brings their own predilections to the situation. And let's be honest about it, Donald Trump uh, in many quarters, especially in Europe, is not a popular uh, man. Uh, many people, most people, frankly, thought that he didn't stand a prayer of winning in 2016. Uh, and have been writing him off ever since mm. and assume for perhaps moral reasons that there's no way he could possibly win uh, re-election. Uh, I've got some news for those people. Uh, he could very easily win re-election. Um, American politics looks very, very different when you're here on the ground permanently. Uh, I've studied American politics uh, since I was an early teenager and uh, I, it's, it's a few years ago now, and uh, here we are, and I can tell you it looks very, very different once you are sitting here on the ground in the country, um, because uh, once again, I'm reminded of the, the flaw in Barack Obama's uh, uh, famous state, there is no red states, there are no blue states, mm. there is only the United States. Uh, what I can tell you, uh, having been here on the ground now for some 12 months, is that uh, there are two Americas and uh, Americans are increasingly living in two very distinct bubbles, uh, either a red bubble or a blue bubble. And um, that, that is happening within states, it must be said, you know, because right. uh, the large urban areas within uh, large states are tending to be democratically controlled. Uh, 
but as soon as you get out of those states, uh, cities uh, into the more rural areas, uh, they're becoming much more conservative and uh, Trump supporting. Mm -hmm. um, and where you're getting tension is where you're getting penetrations of those bubbles. Um, if you're in a large city, uh, if you're in Boston, for example, uh, if you're in Washington, D.C., uh, you'd be tempted to think, well, you know, surely the Trump doesn't stand a chance. There's no support here. But every now and again, of course, a Trump supporter will pop up with a red MAGA hat, uh, and it's quite a surprise. Uh, now, flip that around, you head into uh, more rural parts of the country uh, where uh, predominantly, uh, almost solidly, a Trump supporting, and, and a Biden supporter would suddenly appear out of place. Um, if you are in your own little bubble, as Americans are increasingly driven to in this age of coronavirus, it's very easy to see how I think uh, you look increasingly at your own support and think, well, okay, we're clearly going to win this because the only people I speak to and see are those people supporting my candidate. Mm -hmm. um, however, if we try to take a slightly more nuanced approach of this and say, well, where are we? How are the polls looking? What is it that has been going on? Um, I think you'd have to say that considering the dire state of things in this country in terms of the roller coaster that the economy has been on, the fact that uh, uh, we are now predicting uh, easily uh, clearing 200,000 uh, COVID-related deaths. Uh, indeed, some figures are increasing that by several uh, thousand, quite frankly, before election day. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's difficult to imagine a president uh, going into an election now some 60 days away in a worse state. Uh, and of course, his Donald Trump's status is being compounded by uh, a, a drop by drop, leak by leak um, series of uh, detrimental stories. You would think on that basis that Joe Biden would be cruising and would be 20, 25 points clear. Indeed, yeah. He's not. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, the latest polls seem to show uh, Joe Biden's support slipping, Donald Trump's support increasing. Um, admittedly, they all show Joe Biden ahead, uh, but very, very slightly. Uh, and when you consider where his support was earlier in the summer, uh, the last time we spoke, um, you know, this is looking like it has a rerun of 1988 all over it, hmm. uh, by which I mean in that year, the Democratic candidate, uh, Michael Dukakis, uh, was entering the Labor Day weekend some 15, 16, even 17 points ahead of his Republican rival, Vice President George H.W. Bush, and still managed to lose the election in November. Hmm. So um, anybody who is looking at this and thinking, well, Biden's got this in the bag, uh, really needs to um, take a long, hard look, I think, at the polls and ask yourself, does this look like a rerun of 2016 uh, or 1988, for example? Mm -hmm. In both cases, people had written off the Republican candidate. Absolutely. What, in your analysis, is the uh, primary cause or are the primary causes of this uh, Biden slip at present, as you perceive it? I think there's several things. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is what might be thought of as the enthusiasm gap. Um, you know, throughout Donald Trump's presidency, whatever stories have emerged, and let's be honest about it, it seems like every week, every month, there has been a story which would have sunk any other Republican or Democrat president in history, frankly. Uh, and his support simply hasn't slipped below a certain core ceiling of some 35 to 38%. In other words, his support stay static 
uh, irrespective. They are staying with Donald Trump come hell or high water, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, the flip side of that, of course, is that it has rarely, if ever, crept above 50%, which is the bare minimum, frankly, that most presidents would want to have um, at any stage of their presidency and certainly heading into an election. Mm -hmm. um, however, Donald Trump supporters are 100% behind him. Uh, they are going to vote for him and they're enthused about voting for him uh, and they will vote for him, which is an important thing I stress. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of that is on the Democratic side of things. Um, whilst many people, I think, would like to get rid of Donald Trump coming from the left, um, many Democrats are less than enthused about Joe Biden as a candidate. Uh, I think many people see him as a moderate, centrist kind of uh, sufficient candidates, but they're not excited about him. Mm -hmm. The Democratic Party has undoubtedly moved to the left uh, over the last several years, and certainly since the time of Bill Clinton, for example. Uh, this is no longer the party of the third way that was very sort of uh, uh, cozy with Tony Blair's style politics in the United Kingdom. This is a party which has been, one could say, hijacked by the new left, uh, by the likes of Bernie Sanders and AOC out of New York, for example. Mm -hmm. And that more progressive, younger wing of the party um, is kind of going along with Biden because he is their candidate, but there's no, one there's no excitement about Joe Biden. You don't sense, uh, there's no palpable sense of, of a new era in left-wing democratic politics. This mm. isn't 1960, it isn't 1932, it's not even 1992, <laughs> um, it isn't 2008. Uh, there is no sense of the excitement that you got for, in those years, uh, JFK, FDR, Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama. Mm. Uh, this is merely a placeholder candidate, I think. Um, uh, one wonders if there were other candidates uh, that the Democratic can the Party could have put forward who might have energized both the base and more mainstream members of the Democratic Party. But uh, that's an academic question right now. Mm. Joe Biden is the candidate, but uh, very, very few people are excited about him. They might vote for him, but there won't be a sense of a groundswell of, uh, of enthusiasm or excitement about this individual. And that is a major problem uh, because uh, without that excitement and that groundswell of support, it's entirely possible a lot of people just simply won't bother voting, mm. uh, I think, mm. and, uh, and get, that, uh, uh, get the vote out. And that, of course, is what crippled Hillary uh, some four years ago. Mm. We've uh, obviously dealt with campaign strategy in the past on our uh, previous season of this show, and of course we're touching on it now, but I wondered if you could give me uh, your analysis in this moment, please, as we inevitably find ourselves in a bottleneck toward Election Day of uh, taking into account all that you've uh, already mentioned of how you feel both campaigns are uh, running in such uh, extraordinary times. Well, these are extraordinary times. There's no doubt about it. We just had the most unconventional conventions in U.S. history. Um, <laughs> And the challenge, I think, for both campaigns is, is seeing what it is that can be derived from those um, two conventions. They were quite similar uh, in, in some respects, but also quite different. Of course, Donald Trump and the Republicans had the benefit of being the incumbent party. Um, they made the remarkable decision to use the White House as a backdrop. Uh, many people suggested this was a violation of campaign law, of the Hatch Act. Mm. Mm. Uh, of various laws which prohibited the use of uh, 
of federal uh, premises for campaigning. Um, and yet here we are, uh, no one's talking about that. Uh, another case of Donald Trump seemingly being able to flout the laws and get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, it must be said they put on quite a show. Uh, they used the backdrop of the White House uh, very uh, uh, impressively, I thought. Um, Donald Trump's speech, I thought, was, was fascinating. Uh, he spoke for some 70 minutes. Uh, he seemed quite lackluster. Uh, I was uh, watching and towards the end, he seemed to be like the Energizer bunny, bunny sort of slowly running out of <laughs> steam. And that's going uncanny and going for, and going. For, for Donald Trump. Whatever one thinks of his politics, um, when it comes to presenting um, his case to the American public, he's always been very, very robust uh, and very quick to uh, tar his opponents for being low energy. I think it was a classic mm. case of mm. low energy from Donald Trump. What does that tell you? Well, who knows, quite frankly. Um, the Republicans have not seen a, a huge bounce coming out of the convention, despite the fact that they went second um, and therefore had the advantage of that case. Um, neither did Biden, I think, get a huge bounce coming out of his campaign uh, convention. They took a very different approach, more of a low-key mm. approach, um, the highlight of which might well have been uh, Jill Biden, the potential next first lady of the United States, uh, choosing to speak from a classroom where, where she has taught. And I thought delivering a very heartfelt uh, address uh, to the, the nation with regard to her husband. Um, the, the problem is, I think, that the Democrats seem to think that it's enough to basically say, vote for our guy. He's a nice guy. He's not Donald Trump. Mm. And... Uh, Donald Trump's approach seems to be, well, vote for me, I'll keep the country safe. I'm not Joe Biden. America can't be trusted. Um, neither side is particularly heavy with regard to policies. Uh, they are certainly putting uh, uh, policy documents out there, but there's, there's no great uh, focus upon them. This is purely driven by personality at this point. And uh, one must, I think, come down to the, uh, the fundamental question of, which of these two 70-odd-year-old individuals uh, do you wish to lead America over the next four years, um, and which can be guaranteed, hopefully, to still be alive at the end of the first term? Because very clearly, uh, there are health issues which are hovering around both men. Uh, the Vice President, Mike Pence, uh, has issued a sort of a non-denial uh, that he was placed on standby recently after a recent uh, visit uh, to Walter Reed Medical Center by the president. Uh, Joe Biden's health is something which the president is routinely raising, which may or may not be a real issue, but quite frankly, um, some of his public statements uh, and pronouncements uh, have been confounding at best. And it must be said uh, that the, the media over here, CNN, MSNBC, are simply not covering Joe Biden's uh, public um, displays of a confusion and his his lack of ability to string sentences together. Now, this is something which has affected both candidates uh, at one time or another. Um, and it's really is just going to be a question, I think, of uh, which candidate uh, appears to be uh, the less um, impacted uh, by uh, what could be seen as uh, some sort of uh, lack of uh, uh, mental dexterity and uh, whether that plays a part uh, in the process moving forward. I'd like to pick up on something you said in the middle there, um, because I think we've dealt with it before. 
in so far as uh, Joe Biden essentially being, as long as he isn't Donald Trump, then that's su- sufficient. That was certainly a mode uh, back in the back in the spring that you uh, accused him of. Do you feel that's that's still the case? Obviously, I get the pull to the left and otherwise, but do you feel at the moment his entire uh, campaign strategy is I'm not Donald Trump? Yeah, I think that uh, the Democrats have decided that it's simply going to be a case of vote for our guy. He isn't Donald Trump. There's very little, I think, coming out of the Democratic Party um, from anybody uh, at a, a national level uh, to talk about a vision for the future. Um, you know, th- th- there simply is nothing there at the heart of this campaign. Uh, now, whether there is with the Trump campaign, it could also be debatable. They did come out, it must be said, to their defense and say, right, well, this is what we do in a second term. But I don't know whether anybody really believes that uh, they will put a a permanent base on the moon in the next four years, uh, which was something that uh, was mentioned. It Mm. reminded me of something that Newt Gingrich said um, back in, I think it was 2012, you know, you'd end up with moon-based Gingrich if you elect me as president. Well, (laughs) you know, some people might suggest that there are issues that need to be addressed on planet Earth before we start need to be worrying about, uh, you know, sending, uh, setting up a Trump hotel on, uh, on the Tranquility Base, quite frankly. Prime, prime, prime real estate, but... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, when you, when you analyze what it is that the Democrats seem to be suggesting, um, there's, there's no great um, political basis for their, for their arguments. They're not even latching on to the, the great protest movement necessarily and saying, well, um, you know, whether one agrees with how it is that these protests have been moving forward, you know, it's understandable that perhaps what you can say, well, the Democrats, well, let, let's latch on to the Black Lives Matter movement and make that the central point and talk about, you know, the legislation that we will get through to better the lives of African-Americans if Joe Biden is president and we've got a Democratic Congress and a Democratic Senate. Mm-hmm. You know, that hasn't been picked up on upon. In fact, it's notable that both support for the Black Lives Matter movement and Joe Biden has decreased uh, precipitously uh, over the, uh, the course of the last uh, several weeks and months. Mm. Um, you know, and again, I think that's a reflection upon you know, uh, a disenchantment with both movements in, in middle America, quite frankly, by what Nixon called the silent majority who aren't out protesting and who see a, a movement from what Donald Trump is calling the radical left to defund uh, the police in major American cities. Now, that simply isn't going to wash um, across the American heartland. No. And, um, you know, if, uh, if Joe Biden isn't careful, you know, he could end up uh, uh, really being painted uh, as uh, a, a radical anarchist, which, of course, he is not. Joe Biden is the most mainstream, moderate, democratic um, candidate for president that we've seen in many, many years. So he is simply the, uh, the, the, the last man standing, I think, from a generation. Um, mm-hmm. And he is there almost by default, quite frankly. And uh, it'll be ran- very interesting to see who the candidate is in four years' time. Uh, I'm quite sure that it will look uh, very, very different uh, from Joe Biden. <laughs> A very, very different time from uh, Biden's Washington that he came up in, for sure. How do you... Uh, let's talk voting at the moment, because... Uh, uh, for a moment, rather, because uh, we're talking... You mentioned disenchantment there, and obviously, if there's any sense of 
delay on the uh, uh, the results coming through if there's any sort of uh, uh, quasi 2000 scenario with hanging chads and otherwise this one might be the one to make them look uh, very mild in comparison uh, the republicans in this sense of uh, anti virus the virus is a hoax etc in terms of trump republicans at least are uh, are feeling that they will be voting in person. The uh, uh, the Democrats are voting in advance, and of course we have the whole uh, postal system. And otherwise, what kind of consequences might there be of this uh, uh, two-track approach to uh, this election? So I'm starting to worry that I only come to America at times of national electoral crises. I was over <laughs> in uh, the United States in 2000 uh, over the election and was working uh, for a time in, uh, in New York City. and was having to explain to my colleagues, all of whom were American, what on earth it was that was going on and transpiring on a <laughs> nightly basis during that, uh, that uh, tumultuous recount uh, that occurred because of the uh, disparity of the vote in Florida. Um, I was over here in 2016, uh, shortly before the election, when Comey's uh, uh, announcement went, uh, uh, went through the roof and, of course, derailed Hillary Clinton's campaign. And here I am now again when we're talking about a potential uh, electoral college crisis because of the... Uh, the vote which is uh, coming up in November. Um, I think that what's fascinating about this is how Donald Trump uh, is clearly trying to create um, an excuse uh, for failing to win the popular votes and potentially win re-election come November. And his focus for this is going to be the postal service. Um, now, why might he do this? Well, um, it's, it's, I hope this doesn't sound overtly partisan to say that uh, my experience uh, over some 30 odd years is that parties of the left, be that the Democratic Party here in the United States or the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, mm. generally want to expand voting and getting as many people voting as possible and might even go as far as to say that voting should be mandated, encouraged, etc, etc. Um, parties of the right, uh, the Republican Party here in the US, the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom, take quite a different approach, which is to say, you know what, if people want to vote, they should vote. Uh, we're not going to necessarily encourage this, make it particularly easy. It's a responsibility and people should take the responsibility to register, get involved, um, and don't believe it's too much to ask that people have some sort of ID to get uh, onto the ballot, uh, which is something which is very much opposed by the left. What I'm trying to get at here is the idea that just the process of voting is political uh, and it's become increasingly politicized here in the United States at this time. The Democratic Party want as many people to vote, believing that uh, the larger the turnout, the more likely it is that Donald Trump will lose. Uh, the Republicans, I'm sure, probably are aware of this and therefore want to make voting, um, I wouldn't say restrictive, uh, but certainly uh, um, make it... Uh, uh, more of a challenge to vote, let's put it that way. Um, now, now, what's fascinating about this, however, is this, is that, again, uh, my experience um, of US politics, both as an observer, as a, uh, as a writer, and as someone who was also spent time working on Capitol Hill, is that uh, whatever you think about the two parties' politics, they are very different in terms of their organizational skills. Um, like the Republican Party or loathe the Republican Party. Uh, they have great organizational capacity, which is something which you could never accuse uh, even your favorite Democrat of having. The party, politics of the left, just as in the United Kingdom, I think, uh, demonstrate repeatedly that uh, the politics, politics of the left 
uh, are not always the most organized of individuals. They are passionate, uh, they believe strongly in their causes, uh, but they aren't always the best, uh, most organized of people or parties. Uh, and they are often out-organized, out-hustled uh, by, uh, in this case, their Republican uh, colleagues. We saw that in 2000, quite frankly, um, many people thought that if the Republicans hadn't been so well organized on the ground in Florida, uh, that uh, Al Gore would probably have been named president. Um, I mm. think we're going to see something very, very similar here. I think that the Republican Party are gearing up uh, at a national level, at a state level, to litigate this um, following um, what might end up being um, a close election. That's their concern at this point. Now, whether that is going to be the case or not, who knows? Um, you know, the way, what I'm, what I'm fascinated about is this, is the parallel with Nixon. Nixon was terrified he was going to lose his re-election campaign in 1972. He believed that he'd been cheated of the presidency by Jack Kennedy in 1960. Uh, he won a real squeaker by less than 1% of the popular vote in 1968. And he was terrified he was going to win, uh, sorry, to lose in 1972. Mm. And that, of course, led him to commit, uh, and his team commit a series of, um, of, uh, of crimes, which we know is Watergate. Um, will Donald Trump make a similar faux pas, a similar mistake? Will he, uh, will his insecurities, uh, political and personal, lead him to make uh, mistakes, um, which may well lead to investigations in a second term? Um, because, of course, whilst Donald Trump was impeached in his first term, which was on uh, an unusual event in American history. Um, uh, it's the second term curse, which often strikes American presidents. Uh, we saw Bill Clinton, of course, brought low by uh, a serious impeachment scandal in his second term. Richard Nixon was driven from office in his second term. We saw Iran-Contra uh, devastate the Republican uh, administration of Ronald Reagan in his second term. Um, will the postal um, system and the postal ballots uh, denouement uh, somehow uh, bring uh, Donald Trump to his knees. Um, he's already encouraging, believe it or not, people to try to vote twice. Um, uh, yes, I caught that, yes. Use, yeah, the, yeah. use the postal vote and then go and vote in person. Well, of course, that is illegal. Mm. Um, I appreciate that in uh, Chicago there was an old joke, which was uh, uh, vote early and vote often. Uh, but of course, that was uh, meant as a, uh, as a satirical uh, attack upon uh, the compromised politics of that uh, of that city. Mm, um, no mm. one's suggesting uh, that one should really do that, uh, <laughs> except Donald Trump, of course. <laughs> I always remember uh, William F. Buckley's uh, run for mayor of New York, where he so didn't want to be anywhere near it that it was uh, a voting by invitation only. <laughs> 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 